بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته اللهم انفعنا بما علمتنا وعلمنا ما ينفعنا وارزقنا علما تنفعنا به آمين رب العالمين الحمد لله ثم الحمد لله We've reached the next lesson of the or tafsir of the short surahs of the Quran course and today in today's lesson bi idnillahi ta'ala we will be discussing uh, the mu'awwidatan the mu'awwidatan al mu'awwidatan which of course refers to the chapters of seeking refuge alhamdulillah we have reached the final two surahs um, of the of the Quran and of course last week we discussed um suratul ikhlas qul huwallahu ahad which is Famously known as one of the three quls, right? Famously, we refer to these mu'awwidatan as the as the three quls, right? The first one we, of course, discussed last week, where we discussed the tafsir of that surah, and of course, the virtues and the benefits of that great surah, which is undoubtedly one of the greatest surahs in the entire Qur'an, as we proved last week through a number of ahadith uh, of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. In today's dars, bi'idhnillah, we will discuss the mu'awwidatan, and just discussing its status in Islam. We will just spend some time speaking about its virtues. And then next week, we will discuss the meaning of uh, those two surahs um, in, one, in one session, insha'Allah ta'ala. So firstly, we would like to go through the virtues of the Mu'awwidatan because there is a number of ahadith wherein Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam speaks about its virtues. And when he shows us the status of these two surahs, or should I say these three surahs as a group, the three quls as a group, also known as the, the mu'awwidatan, or al-mu'awwidat, or al-mu'awwidat. So what's the difference? Mu'awwidatan or mu'awwidatain is a dual word, right? In Arabic, you get singular words, then you get a dual form of the word, then you get a plural form of a word, right? So mu'awwidatan and mu'awwidatain, you'll find people use both. They both mean the same thing, they're just different um, ways of pronouncing it depending on the context in which it comes. You would say mu'awwidatan and sometimes mu'awwidatain. But both of them mean, linguistically, they are a dual word, meaning they, they, they refer to two things. They refer to two things. For example, you get baytun, a house. Then you get baytan, which means two house, or baytain, two houses. Right? And then you get buyut, which is many homes or many houses in Arabic. Right? In this case, we have Mu'awwidatan or Mu'awwidatain, which actually means two. Two chapters of, uh, of seeking refuge. Two chapters of seeking refuge, right? However, many ulama included Suratul Ikhlas in the Mu'awwidatain. And they said, even though it's, it, it, it linguistically means two surahs, it includes Suratul Ikhlas as well. It includes Suratul Ikhlas as well. And this is something which they say is common in Arabic. Yani taghliban, even though it's, it's, it refers to two, they say still, Suratul Ikhlas is still, um, is still included in this. So when we say the Mu'awwidatain, we would say this includes Suratul Ikhlas as well. That yes, it's not a surah which starts the same way. Qul a'udhu, say I seek refuge in. We find the Suratul Ikhla uh, Suratul Falaq, Qul A'udhu Birabbil Falaq, Qul A'udhu Birabbil Nas, both surahs start with, say, I seek refuge in the Lord of Daybreak, for example, or the Lord of humankind. So those are clearly surahs of 
of, of Mu'awwid. Yani they are Mu'awwidatan clearly because they start by seeking refuge, instructing us to seek refuge. We as Surah Al-Ikhlas does not start that way. Qul huwa Allahu ahad. It speaks about Allah. The entire Surah is about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So is it a Mu'awwid? Let's look at a hadith from Uqbah ibn Amir al-Juhani radiyallahu anhu where he said that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said to me, say, I said, what should I say? And he said, قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدُ قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ الْفَلَقُ قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ النَّاسِ Now notice here, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam instructs this great sahabi Uqbah to recite three surahs, all three quls, right? All three surahs. Then the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam recited them and then he said, the people have never recited anything like them. Subhanallah, there is nothing like these three surahs. The people have never recited, not in the past, not in the present, nothing like them. Or the people have never sought refuge with Allah by means of anything like them. So notice here, he specifically mentions seeking refuge. Seeking refuge. The people have not sought refuge with anything, the likes of these three surahs. So here, he is including قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدٍ in, uh, as, as a source of seeking refuge. So this is a, an evidence that can be used, which shows that قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدٍ is also incorporated into the Mu'awwidat, يعني the surahs of seeking refuge. The Mu'awwidat is now the plural. It's a plural form of Mu'awwidatayn. Mu'awwidatayn, we said linguistically, means two. Sometimes the word Mu'awwidat is used, which means the surahs of seeking refuge. And herein we can prove that Suratul Ikhlas is included in that. Is included in that, even though we may say at times Mu'awwidatayn, the two, but we say that Qul Allahu Ahad is included in that, taghliban, yani as, a, as a general rule, as a, as a source of the way it's, it's just pronounced Mu'awwidatayn, but it's known that, قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدْ is included in this, right? And this is something that, that is known from the Arabic language for those who have knowledge of the Arabic language and Allah knows best. Um, so we're going to go through a number of the virtues as we said which shows us the virtue of these three surahs. This one that we mentioned here is already a virtue, right? Yes, it proves that قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدْ This is why we mentioned it in this case. However, it also proves the, the virtue of these three surahs. They have never recited anything like them, number one. Number two, they have never sought refuge with anything like them. That this is the ultimate way to seek protection. To seek refuge in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from a number of things. From a number of things. Those specific things we will of course get into next week inshaAllah when we go through these two surahs. Or the last two surahs, Surah Al-Falaq and Surah Al-Nas bi-idhnillahi ta'ala. In Sahih Muslim, uh, Imam Muslim records a hadith again from Uqba ibn Amir. Radiallahu anhu that the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said Alam tara ayatin unzilat hadhihi layla lam yura mithluhunna qat Do you not see that there have been ayat revealed to me on this night The like of which has not been seen before The like of which have not been seen before Subhanallah So here again he is telling us these surahs that have been revealed tonight Or uqba there's nothing like them. We've not, nobody has seen anything like these surahs. What are they? He said they are قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ الْفَلَقِ and قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ النَّاسِ So these two surahs were revealed together. Right? And we're going to discuss again at to the, towards the end the reason for revelation and uh, what happened when they were revealed. Right? What happened? 
the night that when, when this was revealed, these surahs were revealed, right? So they were revealed together, and um, he says that we have not seen, nobody has seen the likes of of what has been revealed tonight, and that is Qul a'udhu bi rabbil falaq, and Qul a'udhu bi rabbil nas. Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal, rahimahullah, he records also from Uqba ibn Amir, whilst I was, who said, that while I was leading the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa along a path, he said, Ya Uqbah, ala tarkab, ala tarkab. So what does this mean? This means that they were walking, and Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa was upon the animal. So, Let's say it was a camel, for example. He was on top, and Uqba was walking in front of the cam- camel and or the animal, and leading it. You know, pulling it by the the string and so forth, and leading it along the path. And so Rasulullah said to him, "Ya Uqba, oh Uqba, Allah Tarkab, will you will you not ride a bit? Give me a chance. I will walk in front, and you can ride." And so Uqba said, "I was afraid that this might be considered an act of disobedience. Yani, how can I sit on top of the of the animal?" On, the, on top of the ride, and you, O Messenger of Allah, you walk. He, he, he felt embarrassed for this, and naturally, any person would not want a person of status and honor and great respect to be the one that's walking and, and you know, physically exerting himself, whilst you take a break. A younger person, for example, takes a break, and, and he sits on the animal. So naturally, this is Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa What better person to serve? Right, so of course, Uqba was a bit shy, and he felt that this may it may even be an act of disobedience for me to ride the camel or the animal. Whilst Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam is basically serving me and leading the animal, right? But this was, of course, now upon the instruction of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and so he said that he got down and I rode for a while. So they, of course, started to alternate, and then he rode. Right? They started to alternate. And this, of course, shows us the character of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. He was, he's now, he's Amirul Mu'minin, right? He's the leader of all the believers. He's their messenger. He's their prophet. And yet, look at his status. Look at his tawadu. Look at his humility. That he was more than willing. Why don't you take a turn to ride? I can do the walking, and they would alternate like this, right? And that is, of course, a great lesson in that. That this was the tawadu of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the humbleness and the humility of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So if a person like that, of that status, can have such humility, then what about the rest of us? How humble should we not then be to people who are serving us, to people who are helping us, to people who are of a lesser status than us? Subhanallah. Um, and then he said, Ya Uqbah. ألا أعلمك سورتين من خير سورتين قرأها قرأ بهما الناس أو عقبة Should I not teach you two surahs that are of the best two surahs that the people recite? The best two surahs that the people recite? Notice here he doesn't say the best but he says of the best of the best two surahs <coughs> that people recite. So earlier on we discussed Surah Al-Fatiha right in the beginning and we spoke about its virtues and we said it is the best surah in the Quran. Surah Al-Fatiha is the best surah in the Quran. طيب, we spoke about Surah Al-Ikhlas and its great virtues last week. That is one of the greatest, if not the best, but the second best perhaps after Surah Al-Fatiha. These two surahs are also of the best. They are also of those best and the greatest surahs, most virtuous surahs in the Qur'an. From this we learn that, that the Qur'an, 
Yes, it's all the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is all the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the uncreated speech of Allah that Allah recited himself. That was then revealed to Jibreel, who then revealed it to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Who then, of course, recited it to his sahaba, who memorized it, some documented, and so forth. Tayyip. But what we also learn is it's all the speech of Allah. However, some parts of the Qur'an have greater virtue than others. Some parts of the Qur'an have a greater status than others. The likes of Al-Fatiha and of course as we are now discussing the three quls. Ikhlas we discussed last week and now we are seeing the virtue of these two surahs or Al-Mu'awwidat as a whole, the three surahs as a whole. It has a special, special, special virtue and status, the likes of which the rest of the Qur'an does not have. The likes of which the rest of the Qur'an does not have. So the Qur'an is not all uh, equal. There are certain parts which are more virtuous than others. For example, Ayatul Kursi. Ayatul Kursi, we know the hadith where the Prophet وسلم, asked Ubay bin Ka'b which is the greatest ayah in the Qur'an? And he said, Allah in the Messenger knows best. He said, I'm asking you. He said, it is Ayatul Kursi. And he basically made a dua for him, saying to him, affirming that this was correct. And he said, may knowledge be become easy for you, or blessed for you, O Ubay. That he knew the answer, it was Ayatul Kursi, the greatest ayah or verse in the Qur'an. Tayyib, Shaykhul Islam ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah also used to mention that the best parts of the Qur'an are the parts that speak about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you recall from last week's lesson, we said that the Qur'an is generally split up into three. Ayat that deals with Tawheed, Allah and His names and attributes, the worship of Allah alone and so forth. Ayat that deals with ahkam and rulings. And ayat that deals with uh, promises and so forth. Right? And information. What happened in the past, what's going to happen and threats and so forth. The first part is the greatest part. Hence Ayatul Kursi. Hence the Fatiha. Hence the Quls. Because it only deals with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and, and worshipping Him alone. So those parts of the Qur'an in general are the greatest parts of the Qur'an and Allah knows best. Coming back to our hadith, he said to him, Oh Uqba, should I not teach you two surahs that are of the best two surahs that the people recite? I said to him, of course, O Messenger of Allah. Right, of course. So he, say, so he taught me to recite, قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ الْفَلَقِ and قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ النَّاسِ قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ الْفَلَقِ then the call was given to begin the prayer and the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam went forward to lead the people in salah and he recited them in the prayer. He recited these two surahs in the salah. Afterwards he passed by me and said كَيْفَ رَأَيْتَ يَا اقْرَأْ بِهِمَا كُلَّمَا نِمْتَ وَكُلَّمَا قُمْتَ What do you think O Uqayb? And notice here he didn't say Aw Uqbah, he said Aw Uqayb, right? And this is like a, a, a form of addressing somebody that you are fond of, somebody that you are, that you, that you love. Uh, uh, instead of saying their whole name, you shorten the name somewhat. And Uqayb is like a small Uqbah. Uqayb is like a small Uqbah. Aw Uqayb, he said to him. Um, Similarly, he would say to Aisha radiallahu anha, he would address her as Aish, as not just Aisha, you know, Aish, as opposed to saying Aisha in full, for example. Right? So this was how Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa interacted often with his companions and his wives and so forth. He would call them names, you know, uh, according to their culture that was 
that they would be fond of and this, was sh- this would show his love for them and so forth. So notice here he doesn't say Oh Uqba again, he says Oh Uqayb, right? As a form of, um, of showing his fondness for Uqba ibn Amir anhu. He said, Iqra' bihima, recite these two surahs, kullama nimta, whenever you go to sleep, wa kullama qumta, and whenever you stand up, whenever you wake up. So this again shows us another special virtue of these surahs. This hadith tells us that he, there's nothing like these two surahs. It's the best of surahs that have been revealed. Also, he then went and recited them in the salah. And then he tells Uqayb, who's beloved to him. So he's giving somebody who's beloved to him special advice. Special, sincere advice that, that will benefit him. What's the advice? Oh, Uqayb, what do you say? What do you think? Uqayb, recite this whenever you go to bed and whenever you wake up. Yani, there's this part of specific adhkar that we should be reciting before we sleep and before we wake up. Or when we wake up, sorry. After we wake up, we should be reciting these surahs. Right? In the morning time. Right? And again, of utmost importance is the adhkar of al-sabah. The morning adhkar, the prophetic morning adhkar. They are of utmost importance. Right? And you will find that these surahs are a part of them. They play a great role in them. And we're going to get to that hadith specifically, bi'idnillah. And also the hadith about sleeping, which we actually mentioned last week, but we'll mention it again for benefit. Another narration also from Uqba ibn Amir anhu, he says, I was traveling with Rasulullah between Al-Juhfa and Al-Abwa. They were traveling, they were on the road between two places, Al-Juhfa and Al-Abwa. And he said, a wind and intense darkness enveloped us. Remember, these people are traveling out in the desert. So this is very common that you get these winds and sandstorms and so forth. So a wind and intense darkness enveloped them. Whereupon the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallama began to seek refuge in Allah, reciting, قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ الْفَلَقِ and قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ النَّاسِ Now take note. Pay close attention. This is the Messenger of Allah. خَيْرُ الْخَلْقِ Right? As far as we know, he is the best of creation. The best of all men, the best of all messengers, the best of all prophets. Habibullah, the most beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He is now in a position of fear or some type of distress. They're out in the, in the desert, they're out traveling. There's no roads, there's no highways, there's no lights, there's no nothing back then. So they're out there and all of a sudden some fierce winds come, the intense darkness overtakes them and naturally a person will become fearful. Right? And this is when the believer turns to, to his maker. This is when a believer would naturally turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Any person, in fact, even the mushrik, even the disbeliever, you will find when they are in a, in a, in a position of desperation, they, they now make dua. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in the Quran, فَإِذَا رَكِبُوا فِي الْفُلْكِ دَعَوُوا اللَّهَ مُخْلِصِينَ لَهُ الدِّينَ When those people are on, on the boats, right, and, and that boat starts to rock, Allah says they, they turn and they supplicate to Allah sincerely in their religion. Then Allah says, and when we save them and take them safely to land, they then commit shirk once again. Meaning that the people of the past, what, what happened was is when they were in times of, of, of worry, desperation and so forth and fear, they would call upon Allah sincerely. And when Allah saves them, they are now living in harmony again safety again, they go back to their heedlessness and they start to worship their idols and so forth again. 
So here a believer on the other hand, we worship Allah alone at all times. But naturally in times of fear and so forth, we also turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we seek refuge or we seek assistance or we seek relief from him. Naam. Here we find Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam doing the same thing, seeking protection. Refuge means protection. We're seeking safety. We're seeking a safe haven. Where do we find that? We find it with Allah azza wa jal alone. And how did he do that? Here we find he used these two surahs. So at the time of worry and fear and distress, it's a sunnah therefore to turn to these two surahs and recite. قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ الْفَلَقِ قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ النَّاسِ These two surahs in its entirety. Because as we mentioned the ahadith earlier and more ahadith will show us, there is nothing like these two surahs when it comes to seeking protection. When it comes to seeking protection. We have other du'as we can recite, no doubt. We can turn to Allah and speak to Allah, yes, no doubt. But these two surahs are extremely powerful. And here we see Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam turning to them to find and to seek um, a safe haven and protection from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And um, subhanallah. So he then said, Ya Uqbah, أو عقبة تعوذ بهما فما تعوذ متعوذ بمثلهما يا سلام he then said أو عقبة use these two surahs to seek protection and seek refuge تعوذ بهما seek protection through these two surahs for there is no person who seeks protection in anything like these two surahs there is no متعوذ meaning a person who is seeking protection there is nothing that he can use to seek protection. The, the likes of these two surahs, that is the same like these two surahs. That is as the mythal of these, that is as the example of these two surahs. Again showing us the power of these two surahs. So he, firstly he put it into practice himself. Uqba heard him reciting it. He put this sunnah into practice himself. And then he taught it to Uqba. And this is another important point in life. Before you teach, try to, impl- try to implement before you become a da'i, try to implement. This is a message to myself and all people, you know. When we learn something, implement the sunnah, implement the teaching, and then start to teach others as well. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam is showing us the way he implements, then he tells Uqba, use these surahs to seek protection because there is nothing, no person who is seeking protection can use anything that is more powerful in seeking protection than these two surahs. Subhanallah. Uqba then added, I heard him reciting them when he led the people in salah. So which means he, he often recited these surahs in salah, as Uqba has now mentioned to us in this hadith and in another hadith as well. So we see again the power of these two, the mu'awwidatayn, the mu'awwidat, these surahs of protection and refuge are not just called that. Here we see the Prophet showing us and teaching us. There is nothing like these surahs. You come into a moment of distress and danger in a place where you are worried, you are uh, fearful of something, recite these surahs. Turn to these surahs. Yani through these surahs, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will protect us and protect you bi ta'ala. An-Nasa, Imam An-Nasa'i rahimahullah records that Uqba ibn Amir said, I was walking with the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he said, Ya Uqba, qul, aw Uqba, say. And so Uqba said, what should I say? And so he kept silent and he did not respond to me. Then, then he said, Qul. And so Uqba said, What should I say, O Messenger of Allah? And then he said, Qul, A'udhu bi Rabbil Falaq. Say, A'udhu bi Rabbil Falaq. That's what you should say. Right? I seek uh, protection or, or refuge in the Lord of daybreak. 
So I, re I recited it until I reached its end. Meaning he recited the entire Surah Al-Falaq. And then he said, Qul, say. And I said, what should I say, O Messenger of Allah? And then he said, Qul a'udhu bi Rabbin Nas. Say, a'udhu bi Rabbin Nas. So I recited it until I reached its end. He then recited the whole surah. And then the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, مَا سَأَلَ سَائِلٌ بِمِثْلِهَا وَلَسْتَعَادَ مُسْتَعِيدٌ بِمِثْلِهَا No person beseeches or asks with anything like these. سَائِل No سَأَلَ سَائِل No person who's, who's asking or begging or, 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 or looking for something asks or beseeches with anything like these surahs. وَلَسْتَعَادَ مُسْتَعِيدٌ بِمِثْلِهَا And no person who is seeking refuge seeks refuge with anything like them. Again, showing us similarly to the previous hadith, there is no seeking refuge with anything the likes of these two surahs. The likes of these two surahs. We turn to the prophetic guidance. وَخَيْرُ الْهَدِي هَدْيُ مُحَمَّدْ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمَ In a hadith, he tells us the best of guidance is the guidance of Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. This is his guidance. We want protection? Recite these surahs. Recite these surahs. And then of course we're going to touch on when to recite them specifically. Specific times during the day we should be reciting them. A Muslim should not miss out on reciting them. For there's no protection like the, 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 the protection that these surahs offer us by the will of Allah. And even asking as a hadith, We recite them. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We recite them as a, as a form of asking and as, as a form of seeking his protection. And there is nothing similar to it. Another hadith in Al-Nasai from Ibn Abis Al-Juhani. Ibn Abis Al-Juhani radiallahu anhu. He said that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said to him, Yabna Abisin, O son of Abis, Ala adulluka, O ala ukhbiruka bi afdali ma yata'awadhu bihi al-muta'awidhun. O oh, Ibn Abis, shall I not guide you or inform you of the best thing that those who seek protection use for, for protection? Shall I not show you the greatest way that you can seek protection? That any person who is seeking protection, the best way that he can possibly do so? He replied, of course, O oh, Messenger of Allah. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam then said, قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ الْفَلَقِ قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ النَّاسِ هَاتَانِ سُورَتَانِ These two surahs. This is the way. This is the best way that any person who wants to seek protection can seek protection. He said, Hatani suratani. These two surahs. The best. Nothing comes close to it. Uqba ibn Amir, in another hadith, he said, I met Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and he said to me, Oh, Uqba ibn Amir, shall I not teach you two, uh, shall I not teach you some surahs, the like of which have not been revealed in the Torah? or the Zabur, or the Injil, or in the Qur'an? O Amir, O Uqba ibn Amir, shall I not teach you two surahs, the likes of which have not been revealed? Or shall not two surahs, yeah, he says, shall I not teach you some surahs, some surahs, the likes of which have not been revealed in the Torah, Zabur, Injil, or the Qur'an? Yani meaning, the equal of these surahs, there is no equal to it, not in the Injil, not in the Torah, not in the Zabur, and not even in the Quran. Not even, there is no equal to these surahs. Shall I not teach you these surahs? And then he said, there is no night that comes 
but you should not recite meaning يعني that you should recite okay قل هو الله أحد قل أعوذ برب الفلق and قل أعوذ برب الناس meaning every single night we should be reciting these three surahs we should be reciting these three surahs and so Uqba said every night I would recite them it became my duty to recite them because Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam had commanded me to do so Subhanallah. Again, pay attention to Uqbah. Pay attention to him acting upon the instructions of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. There is no night except that you must recite these three surahs, the three quls. And there is nothing like them, not even in the Quran, not in the Injil, not in the Torah, and not in the Zabur. So make sure you recite them every night. So what did Uqbah say? Every night came and I, I made sure I recited them. Take note of Uqbah ibn Amir. And I'm going to touch on this, but after the next hadith, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, in another version of the hadith, he said, O Uqba ibn Amir, shall I not teach you three, the three best surahs? Different wording, notice the difference in the wording. Shall I not teach you the three best chapters that have been revealed in the Torah, Injil, Zabur, and the Furqan al-Azim? Now what is the Furqan al-Azim, the great Furqan? That's the Quran. One of the names of the Quran is Al-Furqan, the criterion. The Quran, one of its names is Al-Furqan, which is the criterion, the criterion between Haq and Batil, right? So, shall I not teach you the three best chapters? The previous hadith said, there is nothing like these chapters, not even in the, the four books. Here he says, the three best chapters that have been revealed in the Torah, in Jil Zabur and the Quran. This indicates to us that perhaps these surahs were revealed in the previous scriptures as well. So they're the best of what was revealed in the previous scriptures as well as the Quran. Subhanallah. And so he said, indeed, may Allah sacrifice me for you. This is what Uqba replied. He said, Bala ya Rasulullah, may Allah sacrifice me for you. So he said, he recited to me, Qul Allahu ahad, Qul a'udhu bi rabbil falaq, Qul a'udhu bi rabbil nas. The three best surahs. Then he said, O Uqbah, do not forget them. Notice the difference in the wording. O Uqbah, la tansahum, he said to him. Don't forget them. Do not go sleep unless you have recited them. Subhanallah. He is emphasizing this message. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is emphasizing this message. O Uqbah, do not forget them. And do not sleep. Unless you have recited them. Do not go to sleep unless you have recited them. And so what did Uqbah say? Uqbah then replied and he said, I never forgot them since he said to me, La tansahum. Since the day Rasulullah said to me, La tansahum, don't forget them. He said, I never forgot them. And I never went to sleep unless I recited them. Subhanallah. And this is something that we have to touch on. Because this is so important. This is so powerful. Number one, look at the power of these three quls. The best of what's in the Quran and the previous scripture. There is nothing like them in the Quran nor in the previous scriptures. That's the, that's the power of the three quls. We're not talking about uh, the whole Surah Baqarah or the whole Surah Ali Imran. We are talking about three of the shortest chapters in the whole Quran. We are talking about three surahs that every Muslim knows by heart. The new Muslims, they start off, they learn these surahs first, along with the Fatiha. 
It is the part of the Quran that is known by all. But it's the virtues that perhaps not known by all. So notice the great power and the virtue of these surahs. Over and above that, noticed Uqba. Look at Uqba. Subhanallah, look at Uqba. Look at firstly how, how, how much the surah is emphasized, right? Don't forget them and don't sleep unless you've recited them. And then take note of Uqba. He was not a heedless person. Many of us, Wallahu al-Musta'an, when we hear a message, we feel the power of the message, we shake our heads, we say, Allahu Akbar, subhanAllah, and so forth. And then we carry on. And we, the, it comes in by the one ear and out by the, out by the other. But Uqba says, the moment Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said to me, La tansahum, don't forget them. I never forgot them. Those, it's as if the words of the Prophet stuck with him forever. And this is the nature of the Sahaba. And this is where we should be striving to be. We, we will not hear these words on the lips of the Prophet ﷺ, but we have them in front of us. We know the teachings. It's been preserved for us. So now that we know that he said this, the message is for us as well. Don't forget them. Don't go sleep unless you recited them. Don't be lazy and think, I'll just sleep it off. I'm tired. It doesn't take much to just recite the three calls. So notice how Uqba takes the message of the Prophet ﷺ seriously. This is an instruction of the Prophet ﷺ. He didn't ask the question, is it sunnah or fard? Uqba didn't say, is it sunnah or fard? Do I have to or is it okay if I don't? So what if I don't, is it okay if I, if I overlook? Uqba didn't ask these questions. The Prophet ﷺ instructed me, خلاص يكفي, that's enough. Bas, that's enough. No need to ask, is it fard, is it wajib, is it makru if I don't, is it, uh, will it be sinful if I did it, if I don't. The Prophet said, don't forget, I won't forget. I never forgot it since then, I never slept unless I recite. That's the mu'min. Wallahi, that's the one who loves Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. It's not about, uh, you know, we get, yes, we can get into the fiqh of the mas'ala, get into the detail of the issue and say, well, if you didn't, there's no sin upon you. Or we can get to those technica technicalities, though, that's in its place. But the true believer is such, the Prophet ﷺ instructed it, that's enough for me. I will make sure I do it. Whether it's fard or sunnah, the point is, it's an instruction of the Prophet ﷺ, I have to do it. وَمَا آتَاكُمُ الرَّسُولُ وَمَا نَهَاكُمْ عَنْهُ فَانْتَهُ That's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us in the Qur'an. Surah Hashr. Allah says, whatever Rasulullah, the Prophet came to you with, take it. And whatever he forbid you from, stay away from it. Whatever, whether it's haram or halal, whether it's, uh, uh, or should I say, whether it's fard or sunnah, take it. Whether it's makruh or haram, stay away from it. And this is a higher level we should aspire and, and try to get to. We should aspire to this level where we don't need to ask questions about, okay, it's only makruh. The Prophet said, don't shave your beards or let your beards grow. Let it grow. The Prophet said, um, famous example, um, the Sahabi narrates and he said, The Prophet he forbade al-qaza'. What is al-qaza'? He said it is to shave a part of the head and to leave a part of the head. That you shave maybe the sides, like we see in fashion today, and you leave the top. That the Prophet ﷺ forbade this. So we could argue and say, yeah, well, some scholars said it's only makruh. That again is in its place. But as a believer, 
as a believer, where do we stand? Is it not sufficient that he forbade us? Is it not sufficient that it's been narrated authentically that he forbade this? Some scholars would say it's haram. Some scholars may say it's makru. Yes, that argument is in its place. But as a believer, as somebody who follows Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, as somebody who wants to follow the sunnah, we, do we even need to ask the question? Is there enough? Is there, shouldn't it be enough that he forbade this? That's the question that we need to ask ourselves and put ourselves in Uqbah's shoes. If Uqbah had to hear this, the Prophet ﷺ forbade shaving this, a part of the head and leaving a part of the head, for example. Would he have asked, ah, well, would I be sinful if I still did it? Or ah, it's makru haram? This is, the Sahaba would not ask these questions. And those are our role models. Those are the ones we should be looking up to and trying to follow. And there's a powerful message in this for all of us, myself, firstly, that this is the, the way of the believer. If it's commanded and instructed, try your best to do it. If it's been forbidden, stay away. Whether it's some makru or haram according to ulama, there'll be difference of opinion here and there. The point is it's forbidden, stay away from it. The Prophet ﷺ forbade it, stay away. Allah forbade it, stay away. That's the higher level of iman without worrying whether it's makru or not. And Allah knows best. The next narration is from Abdullah ibn Khubayb radiallahu anhu. He said, we went out on one rainy and intensely dark night to look for the Prophet sallallahu to lead us in salah. And when we found him, he asked, have you prayed? But I did not say anything. So he said, say, but I did not say anything. So here again, the Prophet instructs him, says, Qul. And he, he, he didn't say anything. And he again said, say, but I did not say anything. And he said again, say. So I said to him, what should I say, O Messenger of Allah? And so he said, Say, Qulhu Allahu Ahad. And Al-Mu'awwidatan three times in the morning and the evening. And they will suffice you in all respects, against everything, for all purposes. Subhanallah. Now notice, we said earlier on, we spoke about the virtues of, that, of these surahs. They're the best of surahs, the best ways of protection, and so forth. And we said, you have to say it when we go sleep, when we wake up. We mentioned this hadith earlier on of Uqbah. We mentioned Uqbah saying it before he sleeps. Now take note, here in this hadith, the Prophet ﷺ is giving us a specific time to recite these three chapters. A specific time. Right? What is the time? Morning and evening. Morning and evening. Adkaru sabah wal masa. There are specific adhkar for the morning and the evening wherein the, which the Prophet taught us to recite. We've taught this course previously in the past um, and we have links up to these adhkar in, uh, on our websites on our website, where, where, where we encourage people to recite them every single day they are of utmost importance. Utmost importance for a Muslim to recite them every day for protection, for blessings, for, for rahmah, for following the sunnah, for so many things. Tayyib, from amongst this list of adhkar which the Prophet taught us is the three quls. And here he says whoever recites them in the morning and in the evening three times, which means the three quls three times, qul wallahu ahad three times, qul a'udhu bi falaq three times, qul a'udhu bi nas three times. Whichever order doesn't really make a difference. Then that will suffice that person or the person who recites it in every way, for every purpose. 
as protection, as assistance, as barakah, as so many different ways. It will suffice you. It's enough for you. These, this is now again a virtue of these three surahs. Now we need to make sure. Every morning we recite it and every evening we recite it. Another point of, uh, to, make note, uh, to, uh, to point out here is, when is the morning and when, what, what is the time of the morning and what is the time of the evening adhkar? The morning adhkar starts immediately after Fajr. So we pray Salatul Fajr, our morning adhkar then starts. The ideal time to make the morning adhkar is from after Fajr until sunrise. So it's not a very long period of time, it's just about an, an hour and, and, and more, right? depending how long the Fajr is and so forth. But that's the ideal time to make the morning adhkar. So ideally a Muslim should make fajr and immediately start his adhkar. So do your adhkar after salah firstly and then you do the adhkar of the morning. Then you sit with the Quran and with other work. But make a, a time for these adhkar immediately in the morning. If a person missed this time and sunrise has happened and you forgot or you are busy and so forth, still recite it. Still recite it. Don't leave them out. Still recite the morning adhkar. The evening adhkar is popularly known for, to people to be done after Maghrib. However, this is actually incorrect. The time for the evening adhkar starts after Salatul Asr. After Salatul Asr. It's not night adhkar, it's evening adhkar. The night in, 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 in our deen we know starts after Maghrib. This is not adhkar for the night, it's adhkar for the evening, the late afternoon. And that starts after Salatul Asr. So we pray Salatul Asr. The women who have the hayd should recite these adhkar. The women who have hayd should recite these adhkar even though they are not making salah. So once Asr comes in, they can make the evening adhkar. Once the morning comes in, they make the morning adhkar. Obviously they will not make salah, but the rest of the adhkar they can recite including the quls and ayatul kursi. There is no problem with this. Taib, um, the evening adhkar starts after Asr and ends at Maghrib. It ends at Maghrib. And so we say the same with what we said about Asr, uh, about the morning, sorry. If you miss this time, for whatever reason, you make sure you do it, even if it's after Maghrib, even if it's after Asr, or after Maghrib or after Isha. But try your best to do it in the best time, in the time that is prescribed for, which is the morning after Fajr until sunrise, the evening after Asr until Maghrib. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Another hadith, Uqba ibn Amid again writes, he said, Amarani Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam an aqra'a bil mu'awwidhat Notice the word mu'awwidhat is used, not mu'awwidhatan or mu'awwidhatayn is used fi dubura or fi dubiri kulli, fi dubura kulli salatin He says that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam instructed me, commanded me to recite the chapters of refuge, mu'awwidhat Right? Yeah, he uses the plural form of the word now. The mu'awwidhat, the mu'awwidhat, which we already explained is the three quls at the end of every prayer. So we said the mu'awwidhat have to be done morning and evening, three times each. After every salah, the mu'awwidhat must be recited once. Fajr, once. Dhuhr, once. Asr, once. Maghrib, once. Isha, once. Then you have the adhkar of some morning and evening, three times, three times. Right? So notice the difference. If a person were to combine the morning and evening with the adhkar of, of the salah, that would be fine. So let's say you only did it after fajr three times, and after asr three times, that would be acceptable, and you would be acting upon both of the ahadith that you mentioned, and Allah knows best. If you did it once, and then four, three times, 
for the morning, that's also fine, and Allah knows best. Um, so that's another time when we have to recite it specifically, right? Then we have another hadith from Aisha, where she said, Ummul Mu'mineen, the mother of the believers, may Allah be pleased with her, wherein she said, that when the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam became ill, he would recite al-mu'awwidat over himself and spit dryly. When his pain grew intense, I recited over him and wiped him with his own hand, seeking its barakah. Narrated by Bukhari and Muslim. So this hadith teaches us another benefit of the mu'awwidat. And that is, it is a great form of ruqiyah. It is a great form of seeking shifa. Not just protection, but also shifa. When he became sick, he would recite the mu'awwidat and spit dryly over himself. Without any uh, actual spit coming out. A dry spit. Right? And this can be done in various ways. And we learn this in the field of ruqya. Uh, using the three quls, number one, is extremely powerful for any sickness. For any sickness. There is no limit to the sickness. Okay? Ruqya is done for any sickness. Not just gene possession or evil eye or magic. Any sickness. The flu, throwing up, cancer, various sicknesses, no matter how severe or how mild it may be, the Qur'an is a shifa. The Qur'an is a shifa. And the best parts of the Qur'an is the ayat of shifa. Yani, Surah Al-Fatiha, of course, and then the three quls. This is the best part of parts of the Qur'an. Right? And of course, we always mention Ayatul Kursi as well. Tayyib. So the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he also recited this, these surahs seeking a shifa through them. Right? Seeking a shifa through them. He would spit over his body. And again, if a person wants, he can spit in his hand and wipe over his body. Or blow in his hand and wipe it over his body. Or even blow on his food and eat the food. Or even blow on his water or in some water and drink the water. This is also permissible. It, those, those things now become like blessed water or blessed food or ruqya water or ruqya food. You can blow on anything that is, you know, clean that you use. Even uh, substances or, or, or creams or oils that you rub on your body. Like olive oil. You blow in the olive oil and you wipe it on your body. Or you blow in some ointment, some cream, you wipe it over your body. This is permissible. It would serve as a form of ruqya. What do you recite? The three quls and the fatiha, for example. Or any part of the Quran for that matter. But these are the best parts of the Quran. To recite seeking a shifa for any sickness, any illness. The Prophet ﷺ did it for himself. It doesn't mention he was possessed or it doesn't mention it means for any sickness. Even to the point where he became elderly towards the end of his life. When his sickness was very bad, Aisha is telling us she would recite the same surahs but just use his own hands to wipe. She would take his hands and wipe it because his hand is Mubarak. Because his hand is blessed and so forth. So the sunnah here is use these surahs to seek shifa. Use this, your child is sick, recite it and blow it over them. Recite the surahs, blow it over them. Blow it on their food, blow it in their water bottle. Let them drink that water, for example. It will be better than normal water. And so forth. Let's not forget the sunnah in this regard as well. Another hadith from Aisha radiallahu anha, she said when the Prophet sallallahu went to bed, we discussed this hadith last week I think, but again for extra benefit, he would cup his hands together, Blow into them and recite into them Then he would wipe as much of his body as, as he could with his hands Starting with his head 
and face and the front of his body, he would do this three times. This is another specific sunnah and time we're in to recite the three quls, right? We said in the one hadith of Uqba that don't forget them Uqba and do not sleep unless you recited them. This is when that actually comes in, in a more specified and specific way, right? And when you wake up, he said to Uqba, we already discussed morning and evening. So that counts as waking up. When you wake up, make your fajr, recite the three quls three times each. That counts there. When you go to sleep, recite the three quls three times each. Three times each. And blow into your hands, wipe it over your body. This serves as a shifa and also protection. Also protection. So if we look at these times now, number one is when we wake up three times. After every salah. So if we count them individually, we got three in the morning. Each call three times in the morning, three in the evening, and three before we sleep. That's at least nine times a day that we have to recite the three calls, plus the five for after each salah. That makes it at least 14 times a day that we have to recite each of the three calls. We have to recite the three calls at least 14 times a day if we look at um, each time specifically three times in the morning. Once of the Fajr, once of the Dhur, once of the Asr, and then three times for the evening Adhkar, once of the Maghrib, once of the Isha, and then three times before we sleep. But as I said, it can be overlapped at, uh, at the Fajr and, and Asr uh, party if you overlap the Adhkar of, of, of the Salah and after, and uh, uh, the morning and evening Adhkar, that would be fine. But if you do it on its own, then it would be once of the every Salah, that's five times a day, three times in the morning, three times in the evening, three times before we sleep. That's an extra nine, which makes it a total of 14 times a day we should be reciting the three calls. That's in specific times. Then you can recite it any other time as well, seeking shifa as a ruqiyah or seeking protection as the Prophet ﷺ did in the hadith when they were in the desert and so forth. Let us make sure we practice on these sunnahs. It's not difficult to recite it 14 times a day and much more than that. Look at the virtues of these surahs. Look how strict Uqba and the Sahaba were when it came to applying these surahs, Aisha as well. طيب, another hadith, and this hadith teaches us now the reason for revelation. What happened? Aisha tells us that a spell was put on the Prophet ﷺ until he imagined that he had done a thing which he had not done. The Prophet ﷺ was bewitched. Magic sihir was done upon him. Sihir was done upon him right and this is the belief of Ahlul Sunnah by the way that this did happen the hadith is authentic it comes in Bukhari and many other places there are certain groups and certain scholars who then went and said no it's not possible because he's a prophet how could he have been uh, afflicted with magic and the message would have been affected and so forth look here Aisha says he did things which he, he thought he did something which he did not do and so forth in one hadith, it also mentioned he thought that he was intimate with his wives, but he actually wasn't. So there was some confusion that happened due to the sihr. Right? The scholars of Ahlul Sunnah have explained the hadith is authentic, it's well known, it's accepted. It's accepted. We believe this happened. Tayyib. But does this mean that the message was affected? Then no. Because we know from other ayat and other hadith that the message of the Prophet was never affected. That whatever he said was wahi that was sent him from Allah. As Allah says, وَمَا يَنْطِقُ عَنِ الْهَوَىٰ إِنْ هُوَ إِلَّا وَحْيٌ يُوحَىٰ That the ayat, whatever he said, that was regarding the deen, 
it was wahi that was said to him, sent to him from Allah. It, he never spoke from his own desires. That's the beginning of Surah Najm. You can find those ayat there. However, when it came to worldly matters, then he was a normal human being. He was also afflicted with sickness. He was also poisoned. He was also physically beaten at times. He was also tired. He was also exhausted. He had to sleep. He had to eat. He was a human being. So whatever was harm could befall any other person could befall him. That's our belief. That's, and this is clear in many ahadith. Many ahadith didn't have knowledge of the unseen. He didn't know science and everything to perfection. He was a master in the Islamic sciences because he had wahi that came to him. This is why Allah blessed him and benefited him in such a way. Or how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed him in a special way. But this doesn't mean that he knew every single thing. If he said something from wahi, it's accepted. There were times where he encouraged sahaba to do things regarding their crops. And when it never worked, they went and said to him, he said, look, I was just suggesting it, but I don't actually have knowledge of those things. You know, that's, that comes in hadith as well. So it's possible that he was afflicted with sihr. That doesn't mean that his message was um, affected. No. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took care of and made sure that that would not be affected. Tayyip. So anyways, he said one day he made dua. He made dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to show him, to heal him and so forth. Where is the sihr and so forth, right? And so he said to Aisha, do you know that Allah has shown me in what lies my cure? Two men came to me and one of them sat at my head and the other at my feet. Two angels actually. One sat at his head and one sat at his feet. One of them said to the other, what is ailing this man? What's causing him to be sick and what's bothering him? He said, he has been bewitched. He has been bewitched. And he said, who has bewitched him? He said, Labid ibn al-A'asam. Labid ibn al-A'asam was a young Jewish boy who would actually serve the Prophet ﷺ. So some narrations mention that some of the chiefs of the Jews went to this young Jewish boy and said, to, and you know, encouraged him to, to do the sihr upon him. And then he said, with what? He said, with a comb, the hair that is stuck to it, and the skin of pollen of a male date palm. Right? This is how they did the sihr. They used these things. Remember, sihr can be done using the DNA of a person. Any DNA of a person that the sahib, the, the witch or the, 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 the magician gets a hold of, and that person can use that to put a spell on another person, to do sihr on another person, to, to put some magic or black magic on another person. This is exactly what they did with the Prophet ﷺ. Then he said to him, where is it? He said, it's in the well of Darwan. So the Prophet ﷺ went out to the well, and he came back and said to Aisha when he came back, its date palms are like the heads of devils. shayateen. And so Aisha said, did you take it out? He said, no, Allah has healed me. And I fear that that might bring evil upon the people. Then the world was filled up. The well was then closed up. That's what the, the narration in Bukhari and Muslim states. As we can see, the authentic sources agreed upon hadith. So we believe that this happened to the Prophet ﷺ. Right? In another narration, in other narrations, specifically in the one in Al-Bayhaqi, it mentions that the charm, the sihr itself, was removed from that well of that river of Darwan. Right? And it was placed under a big rock. Right? So the sihr was placed under a rock. And this sihr itself had 11 knots that was sewn into it. The sihr itself that they found had, it was taken out of this rock, the, in fact, the, the narration mentioned that they dried out the river. Right, so they took out the water, picked up this rock and found the sihr underneath. 
and it mentions that the sihr was formed like into the image of, of the Prophet وسلم, out of wax and this sihr was 11 knots were stitched into into this 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 image if you look at sihr till today you find similar things are done voodoo dolls and pins are put in it and items are put in it and hairs stitched into it and of the person the dna of the person and all types of these type of things you find in sihr and there's different types of sihr, types of sihr of course and so forth right but this is an example that you find to this day of dolls and so forth uh, they found the sihr they took out the sihr one narration mentions it was in a ball and they burnt out the ball and this is what they found inside the ball and then Jibreel السلام, revealed the Mu'awwidatayn to him. This is what the narration in Al-Bayhaqi states in Dala'il An-Nubuwa. His book, where he brings this narration and he says that Jibreel then came and revealed the Mu'awwidatayn to him. They then recited the Mu'awwidatayn. Qul a'udhu bi rabbil falaq and qul a'udhu bi rabbil nas. Right? Every verse that was recited caused one not to be removed and granting him shifa through that. 11 knots, right? How many ayat were revealed? قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ الْفَلَقِ مِشَرِ مَا خَلَقُ مِشَرِ غَاسِقٍ إِذَا وَقَبْ وَمِشَرِ النَّفَّاثَاتِ فِي الْعُقَدْ وَمِشَرِ حَاسِدٍ إِذَا حَسَدْ That's five ayat. قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ النَّاسِ مَنِكِ النَّاسِ إِلَهِ النَّاسِ مِشَرِ الْوَسْوَاسِ الْخَنَّاسِ الَّذِي يَوَسْوِسُ فِي صُدُورِ النَّاسِ and after every ayah, the Prophet ﷺ felt some relief, felt lighter, felt better. Until all leaven was recited, all of the knots was destroyed, the sihr was destroyed, and the Prophet ﷺ was completely cured. This is how these two surahs were revealed. Subhanallah. To this day, a raqi, a person who practice, a practitioner, an exorcist, if you like, who recites over people who are afflicted with sihr, these are the go-to ayat. There are other ayat and so forth. Surah Baqarah is also extremely powerful against Sihr, the Fatiha, Ayatul Kursi, and other ayat as well. But this is generally also the go-to ayat. We recite the Mu'awwidatayn. We recite the Mu'awwidatayn and look how it was done upon the Prophet himself. Subhanallah. So this destroyed the Sihr and it can destroy any Sihr because it's the power of Allah's Kalam, the power of Allah's speech. There is nothing like it um, on the face of this earth. Uh, Imam Al-Qurtubi in his tafsir mentioned this narration that we just mentioned as well. He also says that Jibreel not only came with the Mu'awwidatayn, but he also came and he also did Ruqya himself upon the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Where he came to him and said, Oh Muhammad, have you fallen ill? And he said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he said, yes. Jibreel then said, Bismillahi arqika min kulli sha'in yu'dhika min shari kulli nafsin aw ayin hasidin Allahu yashfik, Bismillahi arqik. He recited this as a ruqya upon the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And again, we use this to this day in ruqya. Again, it can be done for any sickness. It can be recited over a person who is not well and so forth. Bismillahi arqik, in the name of Allah, I recite over you. I do ruqya on you. Min kulli sha'in yu'dhik, from everything that's harming you or troubling you. من شر كل نفس أو عين حاسد from every evil eye or every evil soul and eye that is jealous and envious. Allahu yashfik may Allah cure you. Bismillahi arqiq and in the name of Allah I recite over you. That's a rough translation of what Jibril alayhi salam recited over the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Al Qurtubi mentions in the same context that this happened also after during the time where he was 
um, afflicted with sihr and so forth and Allah knows best so the, that is how the Mu'awwidatayn were revealed to end off we touch on the relationship or connection between Suratul Ikhlas and the Mu'awwidatayn in the beginning we said when we say the Mu'awwidatayn it's literally two but we mentioned that the Mu'awwidatayn the Ikhlas is a part of this it's also included in the Mu'awwidatayn right sometimes we use the, the word Mu'awwidat is used which is plural which definitely includes Ikhlas as well Right? But what's the relationship between these two surahs? As we said, the, the last two surahs are clearly mu'awidat because it, it starts off by saying, Qul say, I seek refuge in, and Allah's name and attributes are then mentioned. But Qul Allahu Ahad, there's no isti'adha in there. There's no seeking refuge in there. It's say, He's Allah who is one. Allah is Samad. He's a Samad. He does not beget, nor was he begotten. And there's nothing, no example like unto him, no equivalent. So there's no isti'adha within that surah. There is no seeking refuge in that surah. Yet it is referred to as part of the mu'awidat. So what's the connection? Surah Ikhlas teaches us the creation about our Rabb. Teaches us about Allah. The entire surah is a description of Allah. It's a characteristic of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we get to know Allah. And in that surah we recite Allahus Samad. He is a Samad. Who is a Samad? A Samad is the independent master, self-sufficient. He is the one who reached the perfection in his eminence. Completely perfect in his eminence. The one whom all of creation is dependent upon. And he is, not in, he is independent of all of them. Not in need of any of them. That's a Samad in a nutshell. So once we understand who a Samad is, we now realize the connection because now when we're seeking refuge, who do we seek refuge in? We want to seek refuge in As-Samad. In that being who is As-Samad. Who else can we depend on? Who else can we turn to? Who else can save us? Who else can safeguard us? Who else can protect us? But As-Samad. The one only, the independent master, the self-sufficient one. Subhanallah. So uh, Ikhlas teaches us who Allah is. It emphasizes that Tawheed in Allah, the, the uniqueness of Allah, the perfection of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the grandeur of Allah. And then comes the two surahs of protection. There is nobody to turn to but Him. There is nobody to save us but Him. There is nobody who can protect us but Him. There is nobody who we can turn to but Him. Subhanallah. So that's the, 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 the relationship between the two surahs. And it's extremely powerful. And this is how the one who understands them and recites them with understanding can feel this power of these surahs. And he will genuinely love these surahs. He doesn't just read these surahs in the salah to get through them. Because they're easy to recite, they're short to recite. Rather, he recites them with understanding, seeking its virtue, its blessings, seeking its shifa, seeking its protections, and so forth. Subhanallah. So, Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen. This is the end of our lesson today. Um, we ask Allah Azza wa to grant us understanding, especially of these mighty, great surahs, and that He allows us to implement them and the sunnah of reciting them through the, the, the specific times and also throughout the day on gentle times as well, so that we reap as much benefit from these surahs as possible. Amin uh, Rabbil Alameen. Until next week, bi Ta'ala, where we will get into the tafsir of these surahs in uh, uh, the commentary of the surahs. And we will speak about the meanings, inshaAllah ta'ala. Um, barakallahu feekum.
Wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabi ajma'in Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik Ashadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilaik Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh